the accidental engineer welcome all max of the accidental engineer here today we have the pleasure of taft love joining us taft if you don't mind introducing yourself for a little bit yeah absolutely hi i'm uh, i'm taft love i'm the vp of revenue operations and inside sales for a company called house canary in san francisco so Taft is obviously a very exciting guest to have on because he's, for one, not an engineer. Right. So we'll have the opportunity to hear a fair amount about how exactly sales and marketing feeds back to software engineering mm-hmm. and what the relationship exists in a company when you have a software engineering job with sales and marketing. So uh, for people who might be very ignorant about the vocabulary or are curious about like I just mentioned, the relationship between sales and marketing mm-hmm. and product. Do you mind giving a, sure. a kind of introduction of sorts? Yeah. So um, what might be helpful here is is inside sales. I think uh, I think most people know what what sales is. That one doesn't doesn't merit an explanation. Inside sales just means literally the salespeople work inside the building with me. Um, it also usually means we do down market, meaning small deal size. Uh, high-speed sales, we're not selling to giant companies. The operations part is the one that's confusing for most people. So operations is sort of an umbrella term, a lot like engineering. Engineering can mean a million different things, right? Same with operations. So um, in my role, operations means systems. So all of the various softwares that we use to enable the sales and marketing and finance teams to do their jobs. That's sort of part of it. Another part is strategy. So we, uh, we use those, soft, those various pieces of software to collect data, and then we package that data in a way that helps the business strategize. Um, and then finally, there's a lot of other stuff that that's, is sort of couched in operations that um, I guess you might call analytics. Um, it's the actual gathering of data. Um, and the interesting thing is it, there's a lot of crossover with engineering here in that we have, to, we have to architect the system. Now, we're not actually coding the pieces of software, but we're utilizing software uh, to build a structure that allows us to collect a bunch of data that the business needs to make decisions. So House Canary isn't the only place you've sold at or, mm-hmm. or been in a sales role at. Um, maybe are there unique, unique things about the sales process as it exists at House Canary what, what prevents perhaps somebody from buying House Canary's product um, that having an inside sales team uh, is important to the business for? Great. So, um, yeah, to, so to unpack this, ha- uh, sales is different everywhere. House Canary's is, is a unique sales process, and um, there are some fundamental constants where no matter where you sell, there are certain parts of your sales job that if you have a quality sales team will be the same. And then there are other parts that are, that are very different. And um, so at house canary, some of the things that, uh, that are a bit different is that we are selling a product that, that for which two things are true. One is it's not a binary. And what I mean by that is uh, if you're selling software, say a CRM, a, a, a customer relationship management, like Salesforce is the one most people know People either buy you or buy someone else. It's binary. They either buy you or they don't. Um, In our world, people can buy us to cover 20% of their need for valuations because 
at a high level, what people use us for is uh, understanding the value of homes that they're either buying, selling, lending against because a home is collateral for a mortgage, meaning um, if you don't pay your mortgage, we're going to take the house. We need to make sure it's worth what we're loaning you. Um, and so if a company has a thousand transactions a year, they can use us for a thousand of them or 200 of them. So that's a, that's a unique part of our sales process that's different than, than most of TAC. So selling to a House Canary customer is unlike selling to a Salesforce customer in that even if they are using an existing solution, they can still buy House Canary. That's that exactly fair? right. Okay, mm -hmm. gotcha. So for our audience that are interested in the software engineering side of sales, I know you and I have talked at great lengths and even worked at companies that build software of this type, but mm -hmm. what types of software tools do sales teams use? You described setting up processes for sales. Mm -hmm. Mind sharing with our audience a little bit yeah. about what, uh, how software plays into your role? Yeah, absolutely. So you may have heard the term stack, uh, a software stack. Um, sales and marketing teams have their own stack of software that, that enables them to do their job. Um, our stack includes Salesforce as a CRM. So if you're not familiar with, with the CRM space, that's basically where we house all the data that, that we know about our customers. Everything from the simple contact information, name and phone number, all the way to how many times in the last 30 days did they contact us for support about this type of thing, right? We can get all of that from the CRM. Um, we also need software for reaching out to potential and current customers. So we use Groove for that. Um, in the past, I've used uh, similar tools called SalesLoft, Outreach.io. They're, they're all fairly similar. Um, email automation tools. So these things help you, uh, these things help you reach out in an automated fashion. So instead of I sent them an email today, I need to remember a week from now to follow up. Um, these, at the highest level, these, these pieces of software help you do that without having to remember. The software follows up for you. Um, we also have marketing automation, which it is marketing automation, but the sales team leans heavily on it. Um, it is, it's a bit more nebulous. It's the sort of thing that you can use for a lot of different purposes. But essentially, it is, uh, it is a software in which you can build uh, paths that customers go down or, or prospects go down once they uh, reach some threshold. For example, we start trying to sell to your company. All of the people we know in your company enter a path in our marketing automation that then tries to teach you over time about our software until you buy or unsubscribe. Mm -hmm. um, there are a few others. Uh, one that, that falls more into the operations uh, part of, of my portion of the business uh, is called Lean Data. It's one of my favorite tools out there. It's very simple, but uh, we use it to make sure when someone fills out a form on our website that the correct person is alerted. Mm -hmm. And most teams just have what's called a round robin. Uh, salesperson one, two, three, and then the next three leads, salesperson one, two, three. And it's just, it's not intelligent. And you have to rely on those salespeople to, to actually research the lead and make sure that it goes to the right place if they're not the appropriate person to answer the, the lead. Um, we use lean data to make intelligent decisions on our behalf so that whoever gets the lead needs to be the one to respond. Um, so it can ask tons of questions about every person who en enters our sales and marketing system um, to decide where, where that person should be routed. 
Um, and there are a bunch of other smaller tools. Um, happy to dive down into, into any of them, but that's at a high level sort of what yeah. we use day to day. So to add to the, the subject of a customer relations management database, this is something that for our software engineering audience, virtually anywhere they might work, even in something like self-driving cars, mm -hmm. there will be a customer relations management database. Yes. And it, uh, funny that you mentioned Salesforce being the largest market share CRM software mm -hmm. provider. They are basically a vendor of a database uh, backed by Oracle. And while you cannot write you know, SQL queries against uh, your Salesforce database of prospective customers and leads, uh, underlying Salesforce is a relational database. And so in many ways, a lot of the products that you will work with in an engineering role with sales and marketing are of the type that are you know, databases that are specific to an important team within your employer. Um, so our, when it comes to there being a segregation between your marketing team and your sales team, what are the types of, not conflicts, but maybe uh, process problems that exists, exist between having maybe a marketing-specific database like a HubSpot and a sales-specific database like uh, Salesforce? And how, how do those two teams uh, you know, uh, join those two databases? Yeah, no, really good question. And this is a, this is a huge part of my world is... Uh, anticipating and solving for these these potential issues. So, um, a good example is um, uh, you're familiar, but in case anyone who's listening isn't familiar, uh, sales development rep is the frontline salesperson, usually a junior sales rep whose only job is to uh, triage incoming leads and hand them to the appropriate senior salesperson to try and close. So. Um, they have a job that is sort of in between sales and marketing. So they are at the nexus of the, these problems, right? They, they are the ones who, um, who really deal with them day in and day out if they're not fixed. Mm -hmm. And so uh, one thing I, I hear, uh, hear often, and, and at House Canary, it's, it's a non-issue, but in the past I've heard constantly is, hey, I received a lead and the status of the lead changed, but I didn't change it. What the hell's going on? Why, why is my lead not the status I expect? And so you know lead status is uh, one of the most important pieces of information about a lead because it tells us, should we talk to this person or have we already spoken to them yet? If we have spoken to them, are they a potential buyer or somebody we don't really care about? And so this is, uh, this is the most important piece of information for triaging and therefore doing their job. So what we find often is if the two systems aren't synced well with an eye on, on rep behavior, um, they can make changes to the records within Salesforce, within the CRM, and uh, it can be really hard to, to peel back the layers and understand which system made this change if the systems aren't built uh, essentially side by side. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, on a one-off basis, there are a million things that can go wrong. But uh, if you sort of zoom out to 10,000 feet, the way I handle this is by removing the distinction between sales operations and marketing operations. Historically, they've been two different teams at almost every company. And so the, the, uh, the previous company was just starting to consolidate them as I was leaving. And when I got to House Canary, ask number one was, will you allow me to run revenue operations, which... 
does operations for the three systems that talk to each other constantly, sales, marketing, and finance. I think this is all extremely helpful information for an engineering audience because virtually anywhere they'll work, anywhere we will work, there will be a marketing and a sales team, mm -hmm. and there will be roles that, or titles of coworkers who are marketing and titles of coworkers that are sales. Mm -hmm. So it's very helpful to hear the distinction between the two and maybe what are the different softwares that are used. And I, I, th I think I agree, although I feel less informed <laughs> about whether uh, marketing and sales in businesses going into the future will become more and more one entity. Mm -hmm. um, maybe, maybe is there any history there to why they are separate entities within a business? What, when, do, when does a lead that is a prospective customer of House Canary get handed off from marketing and become a, a Salesforce record, let's say? So that's a, that's a great question. And um, the answer is, in every situation, it depends, of course. But the, the history will, will maybe, uh, uh, like you said, provide a little more context. So um, let's back up 20 years. Um, generally speaking, marketing teams had the job of getting leads. Their job was to put stuff out there in the world, put a bunch of hooks out there in the river, right? And try to get fish to bite. And that, that can take the form of everything from uh, designing white papers that people download and exchange information, uh, give their information in exchange for uh, the ability to download something, gated content, all the way to the other end of the spectrum, which is performance marketing, like Facebook marketing, Google AdWords marketing, things like this. Um, and so historically what happened was marketing is over on their corner of the revenue world, just throwing hooks in the water and hoping to get bites. And when they get a bite, um, there is some threshold that this, that this lead must meet in order to be considered an MQL, marketing qualified lead, at which point they toss the lead over to sales and now it's sales problem. Um, and so there, for years and years, companies collectively sort of refined this process. And then uh, somewhere around maybe 10 years ago, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of taking a shot in the dark, but I'm guessing about 10 years ago is, is when there was finally a time where software like Marketo, the, one, of the big, uh, one of the big marketing automation softwares, um, was built for the purpose of getting leads and handing them off. And so these, uh, these marketing databases were designed so that once something becomes an MQL, it is then synced to Salesforce and a sales rep is, is made aware. And for a short period that worked perfectly. But then strategy started changing. Um, companies figured out that, hey, if we wanna sell to the, the biggest companies out there, we need, to, we need to change our strategy and especially in the startup world, this is a realization that happened we actually need marketing and sales to work together way before a lead reaches, uh, reaches the point at which it's considered an MQL. Um, and also, is one lead enough for us to start selling to a company? Um, shouldn't we think of it as a marketing qualified company? Because we don't sell to you know, Jim, the VP of sales, we sell to the whole company. So maybe we need to change our strategy. And that sort of led to, uh, things like account-based marketing or account-based sales and marketing. And suddenly this clean handoff no longer made sense. Now all the systems were built for clean handoffs, but the strategy wasn't clean handoff. And therefore you end up with people like me 
really having to sort of hack a solution between two systems that were built for something other than what we're doing. Um, and so that has led to today where we're seeing more and more systems that are more deeply integrated and strategies where sales and marketing work together before any prospecting begins or any outbound marketing begins. Um, and so there's a, uh, there's a whole industry right now that's, that's growing up around, um, around aligning these systems and these teams. And one of the outcomes is revenue operations, which is consolidated operations that is, uh, that is better able to facilitate this sort of blending of worlds where sales and marketing are almost becoming the same thing. Speaking of blending of teams, one of the topics I would really like to cover with you is the relationship between sales and product. Mm -hmm. And I know a topic that you're very interested in these days is how can sales inform product mm -hmm. without pro a product team, without a software engineer, you know, being at their desk with their noise canceling headphones <laughs> on. How, how is information transferred from the end uh, buyers of software products mm -hmm. to sales members of the sales team to product. I, I'm curious to hear what kind of processes might exist for this. Um, what are the best practices you've heard about or seen or implemented? Okay. That's a great question. So this is another transformation that, that is, that is happening even today. So traditionally salespeople, uh, salespeople get feedback from prospective buyers, um, especially when these prospects don't buy. Um, and generally, it's, it's pretty unstructured. A salesperson hears about it, and then they walk over to a desk, right, where the product team, uh, the product team's pod or the engineering pod, and they say, hey, this thing sucks. Go fix it. Or I can't sell anything until you build this thing. And so engineering hears this. And if you're an engineer, you've probably heard this, right? Uh, and of course, on a one-off basis, it, it's, it's panic-inducing. Oh my God, we're not going to be able to sell if we don't build this thing. Um, and so it's really hard to, to differentiate between uh, a few requests that salespeople are, are inflating, right? And, uh, and actual product gaps that, uh, that are limiting your ability to capture market. And so things like user voice, um, uh, are you familiar? No, I'm not. So, uh, for our audience that are also unfamiliar, yeah, awesome. So, uh, user voice is um, is software that essentially polls an audience. It can be prospective buyers, current customers, and allows people to submit ideas for for products. Or you can submit on on behalf of the company. Here are the things we're thinking of building. Everyone, please comment and upvote. And so then you get sort of a crowdsourced. Um, crowdsourced opinions on what should be built next. Um, and so we've seen a few of these pieces of software come around, which sales operations and marketing operations has a big part in running and, and helping to, uh, helping to curate all of the, uh, all of the information that comes in. Um, but the thing I've built that, that I like to be able to deliver to engineering or product is actual dollar figures. Um, I like to, I like to, Put this in the format of opportunity cost of not building something. So, because uh, that's at the end of the day, companies are here to make money, and I want to know how much money do we lose, not how angry are customers, and 
Um, I don't want to have debates over like, should we build for current customers or the people we want to be customers, you know, and that's a raging debate in every company, right? Um, so what I've done is uh, anytime salespeople close a deal and specifically they lose a deal, meaning this person for whatever reason was, was a serious prospect then decided not to buy, they have to categorize the, uh, the nature of the loss. And so, of course, there are a bunch of different reasons. It may not always be product, but if it is product, then we're going to drill down. And in order to close that, the deal, once you choose that, a dependent field is something like, well, what, what part of the product? And then a subsequent dependent field is, well, what feature was missing? And so we try to grab granular data at the time when the deal is lost. And we force sales reps to actually interview people and ask. And in some cases, even invite product people if it's a big prospect to do a, what we call a post-mortem. Mm -hmm. And we capture all of this in our system. And so what that allows me to do is say at the end of the year when the product team says, we're building our roadmap, sales, do you have any opinion? Instead of salespeople saying, you know, hey, I feel this or my gut says that, I can say, well, last year there were $240,000 of recurring revenue that we lost because we didn't have this particular thing. And this was the most expensive gap in our product, according to the people who we lost deals from. Um, so that's the, the sort of thing I like to, to build, to put in place. There's a saying I've heard in sales, buyers are liars. <laughs> yes. And I'm curious about this. When it comes to having lost a sales deal, mm -hmm. somebody's decided not to buy it's kind of like not getting a job you applied for. Mm -hmm. People don't have a real reason to tell you why they didn't buy mm -hmm. or why they didn't give you the job. What, what are maybe ways to get people to give you this information that they really have no incentive to give you? Um, or are there other ways of measuring the opportunity cost of, of not having a feature than what you're describing? Um, there may be other ways. I don't know any, um, at least from, from a sales point of view. And, and you're absolutely right. So anything a, a prospect tells you, you should, you should vet out. Um, and for this reason, um, because prospects are, don't, all, don't have any incentive at this point to, to be forthright with you, um, I, I actually do training with salespeople on questions to ask and ways to follow up with answers. Um, so... In sales, there's a process called discovery. Discovery is generally something you do at the very beginning, right when you meet a prospect, which is interviewing them to understand what their need actually is. Um, and so an analogy I use all the time on the sales floor is if you were to walk into a doctor's office and you said, hey, uh, I'd really like some penicillin. And the doctor just wrote you a prescription and, and let, you, uh, let you walk out with it. That's malpractice. That could get a doctor sued. And so salespeople need to have the, the same mindset as a doctor, which is, whoa, 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 slow down. Tell me what hurts. And it is our job as salespeople to be consultants. Uh, the best salespeople start by just being helpful. And that carries through the entire sales process. And if you've developed a rapport with people where they understand they're the first answer is never going to be enough. You always need to dig deeper and understand the root of, of whatever issues uh, they're trying to solve by potentially buying your product. Once your rapport sort of, uh, once they sort of understand that that's what's coming every time they tell you something, even when they tell you we're not buying, if you've done your job well, they're probably going to understand that you're not going to accept that answer. You're going to dig deeper. 
Some people will tell you, hey, we're done here, in which case you may never know. But a lot of people at this point will, uh, will actually answer your questions and will try to be helpful. And if they like you, which is, you know, I, I'm, I'm, not a big, I'm not a big believer in, you know, the best salespeople are just really likable. I, I don't think that's true. But if they like you, you're a lot more likely to get them to sit down and actually walk you through what, what pains you weren't able to solve. Makes sense. Makes sense that there's uh, sunk costs that the buyers sunk mm-hmm. into their relationship with you and yeah. talked with you that they have at least some rapport <laughs> and, you know, kind will to be able to share why they chose not to buy. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, a final question I've got for you yeah. is when it comes to advice you'd have for software engineers or anyone on the product side of a business, what are some... Uh, positive behaviors, mm-hmm. <laughs> what are some uh, promising uh, behaviors that software engineers and product side people can exhibit to be most helpful for sales teams or understand what are the existential problems sales faces? Because I, I think most software engineers are familiar that salespeople often operate under a sales quota yeah. and they're under extreme existential pressure in their jobs to hit the quota that mm-hmm. they've been assigned. But what are some of the behaviors that you've seen on the product and engineering side that exhibit good behavior to you as a salesperson? Awesome question. Um, One of the best things an engineer can do is ask to work alongside my team, even if it just means sit in on some sales calls. Um, I've had uh, had a few engineers who have expressed real curiosity around around what we do and and what the people they're building for care about. And... uh, while I can't, you know, I can't draw a line, I, I can't show any data that, that it was helpful, I always felt like it was a good, uh, it was a good behavior on, on the part of engineering to sort of embed themselves here and there, even if it's one call a week or one call a month, sit down with prospects and just, just listen. And um, generally, I ask engineers, please speak up. You know, I introduce them at the end of the call and say, what, what else would you like to know? You know, I, we have an engineer on the call They'd really love to pick your brain about X. And I think, there is, uh, I think there's nothing better for closing that gap than, uh, than having engineers listen to the same calls we do. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, with that, I want to invite people, if you're interested in hearing more about sales and engineering's relationship, uh, you can always get a hold of Taft, Taft Love, on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm sure he'd be happy to answer any questions you guys might have. Also, if maybe you're considering a job in a sales automation, of which there are myriad, uh, don't hesitate to reach out to either of us. Um, Taft, thank you for coming yeah, on. My pleasure. For more, visit us on iTunes or our website at theaccidentalengineer.com.